Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Under Pressure Outdoors podcast. Buckle up this evening, sit down with us, listen to a show with our guest, Austin Anderson. We're talking about success in the woods once again, right here in the great state of Florida. But for the first time, I think, in maybe quite a while, we're covering some success in a different method. Uh, Archery itself is fairly common, uh, but there's a subset of archers within the archery community that choose to use traditional archery methods, recurves, longbows, self-bows, things of that nature. Um, and Austin's one of those guys. He's he's big into the loves his recurve, and that's what he hunts with, and he's killed some nice deer with it, and some this year. So we sit down, tell his story, talk about traditional archery, talk about how hunting and camouflage patterns and the way we do things are kind of now turning back to the way it was when your grandpa was hunting in the woods so it's uh it's a pretty good show but before we dive into that dude let's talk about some of the events we've got coming up we're on the 27th of january here in the next couple weeks we've got our last small game hunt at seminole forest in sanford florida we look forward to having you guys out there and and uh that one's going on to raise awareness for the future hunting in florida we have a kayak inflatable kayak on our website right now uh raffle i think there's only 50 tickets were available we've got a little less than 40 left um and you buy those in for a chance to win that kayak we'll hold the raffle live like we did back when we had our crawfish ball last year and and we'll give that away and raise money for them and it's a pretty sweet little kayak especially if you want to do you know with summertime coming up uh, time to do some fishing and stuff like that if you're trying to be space conscious you know it, inflatable so it inflates deflates really tough uh little inflatable boat and you can pack it up in the back of a car and or in the back seat of a pickup truck take it wherever you want to go go fishing do whatever you want to do with it now speaking of the crawfish boil the 2024 mud bug bash is happening on april 13th at the jolly gator fish camp same place it was last year same poker run well bigger poker run probably more stops this year uh, lots of great prizes to give away, same delicious crawfish, same location, same great people, 13 April. I'll have a ticket link down in the podcast description for, uh, you to grab tickets to that. You can buy individual tickets, uh, for the crawfish boil, individual tickets just to do the poker run. You can buy crawfish and poker run combo tickets. You can buy whole tables, tables with coolers, tables with guns. I mean, it's all there on the website for you. So you'll be able to hop onto that link down there for Tin Can and uh, get you some tickets. And if you don't get it from the podcast description, you can find it on the Under Pressure Outdoors event. The ticket link is there. You guys can go right there and buy your tickets for it. Hope to see you guys on April 13th. Now, before we kick the show off, Let's talk about Hasmer Outdoor Products, man. You know, we talk a lot about their seats, and we talk about the how comfortable they are and all that stuff, but they offer a lot of other products for your climbers. And when you're talking about using a Summit and you go into Hasmore's thing, you, the one-stop shop, <clears throat> and it's on sale right now, uh, is the Tree Stand Trickout Kit, okay? Uh, retail value of $136.45, and it's... 45 cents and it's on sale for 99.95 and that kit includes the silent seat for your summit uh the lumbar support which is a real back saver uh for the summit the universal bow, hold, bow holder tree stand treads which provides you with a lot more grip on the bottom part of that climber 
the accessory belt climbing stand stabilizer straps with and Jordan absolutely loved those. I wasn't running them on mine, but I need to get them on there, man, because he said, you know, you pick up and you can really, like, put a lot of weight leaning into that top part of the climber when you're standing on it, which can make a difference when you're trying to get a shot around the backside of the tree. And uh 30-foot bow rope. So you get on that and uh, pick you one of those up using your code UPO15 at checkout. Get an additional 15% off your order. Get that shipped to your house, man, and get that stuff put on your climber. Now's the time to do it. Get it on there. Start playing with it, practicing with it. You'll realize how much you love it and wish you had it all deer season. But you'll have it plenty of time for next year. So without further ado, let's jump into the show. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. That's what I heard. I, you know, he told me, uh, Jordan told me you was working, you, you're working on a barge and something yeah. went out, couldn't make it. And I said, what was he think? He's Ernest Hemingway? <laughs> yeah, man, I, I cast in a barge and operate a crane and, uh, we had everything that could go wrong, went wrong. We were pushing across West Bay and that gun motor slung a rod. So we had to get Cito to come out there and get us. <laughs> Y'all keep a membership on handy just for that occasion? Oh yeah, definitely. Because uh, we're always inshore, you know. We do residential docks mainly, and we'll do a couple of the big businesses and whatnot. Seafood, Captain Anderson's. I'm sure y'all heard of that. Oh yeah. Uh, some places like that. We do their boat docks and a bunch of the pontoon rentals, set pilings for them. Now, see, I don't have a Seato membership, but my dad does, and we share the same name, so therefore, I have a Seato membership. It works out. Man, I, th- I think they'll just about come get anybody. Uh, oh, they'll come get you, you, but they charge you, you call them, but Yeah, yeah, you end up paying paying a pretty penny when they have to come out there without that membership. <laughs> I had I used to have a little flats boat, and I had a membership, and the dang, uh, something happened. My starter went out one time when I was fishing, and I called him, and he's like, oh, well, send me a pen to where you are, and I sent it to him, and he's like, you in a flats boat? I said, yeah. He said, I ain't got a boat I can get to you with. <laughs> Man, they had some guys get stuck on dry land duck hunting out in West Bay last year. It was just a full moon tide and north wind, all the water pushed out of there. And uh, they had to take like, I think it was 600 yards of rope, pull them off of that eye or pull them off the hill. They were, they were way up there. All right. Well, Austin, let let me introduce you. To who we got in here? I'm I'm your host, Will. We got nice to meet you, Will. Yeah, I've talked to you before, I believe. I, on, Facebook, on Facebook, yeah. Facebook, that's right. You got Jordan over here. I'm here. And we got there Jim. Go. Yes, sir. All right, Mr. Jim. And this is this is uh, Mr. Austin Anderson, man. And and we're talking deer hunting. And what really intrigued me about you is it's not a common thing, but I see I, I can see it back there hanging in the corner that that recurve bow you got back there. <laughs> Oh yeah, man. That's uh, 
I, my dad, he guided when I was growing up for one of the biggest places in Alabama. You probably, well, back in the day, you probably heard of Southern Sportsman Hunting Lodge. Um, they're not really huge now, but that's where they actually held the Buckmasters Expo at mm. every year that they now hold at the Renaissance. So they'd have Chipper Jones, well, they'd have Chipper Jones and uh, Bojack and other people. Well, anyway, it just it it kind of reason I'm t- saying all this is because I shot so many big deer with a rifle as a kid, you know, growing up out of a shooting house that it just kind of got to where it wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't really that interesting to me anymore. And uh, my dad had hunted with a recurve, and he had kind of always just nodded me off, and said, you know, you just need to shoot that compound, you know, you'll get get one when you get a little older well i got into college and that's what i did i i got a recurve and man i'll tell you when you send your first set of fletchings through one with that thing it's a feeling unlike anybody can describe well i can tell you i got a dang i, I keep checking my email every day checking the shipping status because i've got a bear kodiak magnum on the way there you right go now. heck yeah man and uh, what uh what what poundage did you end up getting on it 45 pounds 45 that's great great choice man um i wish i would have started a little lighter on the poundage uh scheme of things starting out uh it'll definitely be a lot easier for you to you know really work on your form uh you know at that lighter draw weight everything i had read pointed me in that direction to start lighter well i didn't want to start at 30 pounds and i really didn't want to go buy that uh chinese made samic sage uh yeah. Thing. So yeah. I, I hunted around for a while and I found uh, RM at Rocky Mountain Shooter Supply out in Colorado, rmsgear.com. Yep. And I picked up a used uh, Bear Kodiak Magnum and I set my range at 40 to 50 pounds and picked one up right at 45 pounds for 250 bucks. Heck yeah, man. That's that's a pretty good little steal right there. So we'll, we'll see how it goes when we get that in here. I'll have to start fighting that um, and figuring it out. The biggest thing I can tell you, man, is there's there's a couple of different ways to aim. Um, and uh, one of those ways is what they call like instinctive shooting. And I guess I'm kind of somewhere in the middle as far as that goes. Um, but I, I, I tell anybody that's going to be instinctive or kind of on the edge like I am, it's like throwing a baseball, you know, uh, you get out there, you know, the first time when you're three or four years old and you go throw baseball, you don't know where the hell it's going. <laughs> That's kind of how it is, shooting recurve. You'll shoot a couple times, you'll be like, golly, I am, you know, lower than the target and shot a foot over it. So uh, it's one of those things that just it's muscle memory and it's just practice, you know, just going out there every day, whether you shoot like crap or not, just continuing to shoot. I'm looking forward to jumping into that. I mean, I'm I'm pretty good, not toot my own horn with a, a slingshot. Yeah, uh, man, if so. you're good with a slingshot, <laughs> man, that, that that's that's probably going to be a lot like uh, what you're dealing with with the old recurve. So, I, man, I hope the best for you. I hope you pick it up quick because I know that then you'll be addicted to it and you might i don't know you might get a divorce my wife tells me she's going to divorce me every day if i go (laughs) (laughs) well i've been married to my wife for coming up on 12 years i think she's uh about learning how to deal with it 
she, she's done figured it out already. Yeah, she's, she's not new to the game. She's got her chickens now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm working on that with mine. I'm I'm trying to get her wore out about it. Oh, it was she. She was good to go until we had kids, and then she didn't want me to go as much. Now I start dragging them to the woods, so she's ready to kick me out of the house as soon as I take them both with me. She enjoys her peace and quiet. Oh yeah, man. She mine's the same way. She won't say it, but I think she really does enjoy it when I'm not here tracking up mud <laughs> all in the house. <laughs> so how did you get into hunting? Um. Like I said, my dad, you know, he had guided, and uh, I just, I remember the one of the first things I can remember as a kid was uh, I had a map. Well, I don't really remember the part about the imaginary friend. My mom would tell me that, but I would sit in the laundry room and just wait for my dad to come home every night, just see if they had killed something, you know, so it started pretty early with me going deer hunting with him, you know, at five to six years old. And uh, I pretty much lived out there at that outfitter, you know, on the weekends. Uh, so uh, by the time I was, you know, old enough to drive, you know, I was then guiding myself. And uh, I've guided in Kansas, guiding in Nebraska. My big, my, my favorite, biggest passion is probably turkey hunting, I'd have to say. I, I find that as a is a pretty common denominator amongst guys who are uh, fairly successful at deer hunting is that they also have a passion for turkey hunting. Man, you wouldn't know all. You wouldn't believe how much stuff I pick up on during turkey season when you're really you know got boots on the ground doing a whole lot of walking. Uh, I, I pick up on so much stuff because you know you're right there after the ruts so all the rubs that they've hit this year you know are still gleaming fresh and you can see them good and you know they're still kind of walking you know the the patterns that they like to walk you know during that time of the year well i can't figure it up turkey shit yeah well, see, i love turkey hunting <laughs> I, I don't do my turkey killing but <laughs> man i i've i've had years where you know it's like what's what's wrong with me you know i I blow a mouth call, and I'd I'd say that I'm pretty good at it. Uh, everybody I hunt with tells me I need to go up to Nashville. But uh, uh, there's there's been years where even even with with me being able to call as well as I can, you know, still you know, just being the crapper for a whole month before I actually kill one. <laughs> What's your feeling on cutting? On cutting? Yep. Um, it just really depends how I call to a turkey a lot is going to depend on like the situation, um, whether he has hands with him, because if he has hands with him, I'm not really calling to that turkey then, you know, I'm calling more to the flock and I'm trying to get somebody stirred up, you know, and, and get them to come in there. So I'll, if I, if it's a bunch of turkeys, you know, sometimes, especially when they're on the limb, if they're making a bunch of noise on the limb, I'll go to cutting at them. Um, and if <clears throat> if I've got a if I've ever got a hen clucking at me, you know, I'll just cluck back at her, just kind of whatever they do, I I, I mimic. Um, and if if you know I'm hunting a turkey that I think's all by itself, I'm not going to do a whole bunch of nothing at all. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to whistle and whine and tree yelp a few times and, 
you know, I may do a fly down with my hat or something. Uh, but at that point, I'm all scratching the leaves and I may yelp one time, good time, you know, just to let him know, you know, exactly where I'm at, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, which way he needs to go when he flies down. And that's all I'll do. Um, as far as, but I do like to call to them on the limb before they fly down because I'll tell people all the time, you know, well, I've hunted in places like the Cherokee Mountains in Tennessee where if he flies down, you know, he's over three hills that you don't want to have to climb across. <laughs> so, you know, I try to, you know, at least give him an idea of where I'm at. So maybe, you know, he'll, he'll fly down in my direction. So, you mentioned earlier that uh, turkey season, you know, the rut is still fresh. So you're in North Florida, the Panhandle yep, of Florida. Yep. So your rut's yep, I'm just, end of January, beginning of February? Yep, yep. So we're usually Martin Luther King weekend. We're rolling um, <clears throat> over here uh, from what I saw last year. I know, I know that that can, you know, change as far as depending on when those does, you know, come in estrus, it can, it can be a week or two off, uh, from year to year, I'm sure. Yeah. No, you got some pretty dang good bucks on camera from what we've, what you've been sending me pictures of. Yeah, man, I've got a, uh, I've got a real heavy horn, uh, kind of narrow, eight tall, real tall, good, good G2s, good G3s. Uh, I don't know if he's a six or eight. I haven't really, gotten a picture of him facing the camera i'm kind of one of those guys i'm on the fence about cameras um i've i've put them in places and i've had deer come up to them no matter how i put them in there and they look at them and i don't think they see them everybody's like we'll put it higher in the tree and i'm like i've put it as high as you put it up in one i've you know put stick steps on the side of one and went up and put it up there and they still look dead at it i think those deer hear it um, so the best, the, what I'll do is if I kind of put a camera in there, I mean, it was, there was rubs everywhere, a couple of points, uh, you know, it's a lot of flat land you hunt in Florida. Um, so one thing that I do is look for any kind of elevation or any kind of point that's, you know, coming down into the bottom river bottom. And, um, usually if, if you can find where two or three of those kind of come together, like there's kind of a ditch that runs off a little cypress head and splits. And right there, there's two or three good points that come together and there's a good logging road that runs the edge of it. And this is just all thick, you know, uh, big pine timber. And, um, I think it, uh, sets up good with a Northwest wind, just being as everything's going to patrol the edge of it and uh hopefully i'll be far enough on the outside and be within range but i put a camera in there i don't normally like to do that but i did and i just put it way off the trail and uh the day i was sitting in there he walks right by the camera and of course i'm hunting the trail that's 20 30 yards out in front of the camera so what do you i mean distance wise when you're hunting with your recurve what do you What's your max distance? So, max, max distance is probably 30, 30 yards. Um, in the woods, definitely. I might would shoot one out in the field. You know, 
I've started where I don't I have a lease in Kentucky and I have a lease in Illinois, but most mostly I hunt public land and I'm not shooting out in the field, so I'd say thirty thirty yards. Even thirty yards is stretching it with a dang. I was gonna say thirty I expected like fifteen. <laughs> I'll t- I'll tell you what, man, I, I shot we went up and hunted public land in Indiana um earlier this year. And I stuck about a 150. Um, I'm gonna say he's 140 since I think he's 150. But um, I made as good of a shot that I could have ever made. I know y'all know Florida deer. Every time you shoot them, it doesn't matter whether they're holding their head up or down or whatever. They're going to drop at least two or three inches, you know. So uh, I held low. I shot, and um, man, he stood there like a statue. And I'm I I didn't hit him in the leg because i got a full i got a complete pass through it just went right through in his armpit through the bottom of the chest cavity probably an inch below his heart and i was pretty sick about it but it it, at 30 that's where i'm aiming no matter what with a recurve because the air is flying so slow and i just i think more times than not um they're gonna jump the string but up there up north you do have to watch it they will just stand there sometimes <laughs> yeah i man i expected that one that i shot here in florida this year to drop a little bit but he didn't he watched me pull back watch me get on him and everything he didn't drop a bit i hit him kind of low kind of like you did that deal. a lot of times a lot of times if they're head up looking at you they don't drop as much because i think it's another thing just like with the camera i think they hear they definitely hear that air more than they see it yeah um so if they're facing right at you and all that kind of happens i think it kind of shocks them you know for a second like you're being still and all of a sudden you know there's no movement and there's all that noise yeah and they can't really see that air because it's flying dead at them um it'd be like seeing a quarter you know <laughs> uh, coming at you at a thousand miles an hour so um i think they hear it and i think that's one of the things is that you know they hear it so good when they're looking at you that sometimes it kind of shocks you know and they just stand there i'll say somebody i heard somebody say one time that deer aren't good at multitasking so like yeah if if their vision has you then their hearing doesn't really have you I could relate with that definitely. Uh, just by the way they act, when like like you said, when they're looking up, they're looking dead at you. Um, well, there, there's plenty so. of videos out there too. You can watch <clears throat> when a uh, deer has its head down, how much further and faster they can drop. Oh yeah, when they because they a, throw their head up to counteract. Deer. Uh, to, to yep. throw their head up to counteract that flat back versus when their head is already up. I think it was a Grant Woods video. It probably was. was. I don't believe you yeah. were correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely right. I've seen more times than not when they're head down and they're just sitting there eating, you know, and they hear that thing coming because that ears, you know, if they're broadside, just straight towards that air then. Um, mm-hmm. If they've got them laid, laid back feeding, you know, and I think they hear it really good then. So how and, and their heads heads already down, so I guess their first reaction, you know, is down. Get the heck out of Dodge. <laughs> yeah. So how old were you when you killed your first deer? Uh, I want to say, I want to say I was four, but I, that deer, I'm not, 
I'm not really sure that I, I may have just pulled the trigger um, and looked <laughs> through the scope a little bit. But at five, I definitely, you know, shot one and remembered it. Um, say at four years old, the only, remember, the only memory I have of deer or anything to do with deer hunting then, and it's a scar on my memory. <laughs> Funny now, I, <laughs> I was I was sitting in my in my bedroom. And my dad gave me a grunt call, and I'm sitting on the bed, and I'm just wailing on that grunt call. Mind you, I'm in the house. And he pulled that little, he had a little, a little six point, eight point hanging on the wall in there, and he stuck that deer head around the corner of my door when I was sitting on the bed <laughs> blowing on that grunt call. Daddy, get your gun. Oh, scared me shitless, son. Oh, Lord. That first deer memory yeah. is a memory you'll never forget, though, man. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, it is. Yeah. I know that at nine, I shot at one with a thirty thirty, which, you know, I think I've discussed this with other people, but it doesn't matter uh, what thirty thirty you shoot. It's the person that gives it to you, uh, as long as you're lent it. They always swear it was sighted in. It never is, but it is for them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I shot at that deer, <laughs> a four-pointed. I don't know, maybe thirty yards, and I he's facing towards us, and I skimmed the bottom of his brisket, and he he's gone. Yeah, um, and then hell, I, I don't think I killed another deer. Shot at? I didn't shoot any of the next one I shot at. I killed that was a doe, the seven millimeter oh eight. I think it was a year or two later. Yeah, I was ten or eleven by that time. And then, well, hell, now I just took my son out this year, and he killed his first two deer in two days, and he's already got his eyeball on another little buck we got wandering around, coming in there and running feeders. <laughs> so, hey, the kids nowadays got it good. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, they do. Uh, so, uh, I yeah. mean, you, you said you grew up right hunting on that ranch, but uh, what drove you? Assume it's as you got older. What drove you to start chasing public? That was uh, kind of something when I moved down this way. Um, I just didn't really have anywhere else to hunt. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, I mean, I know y'all know, Florida is not the place to learn how to hunt public <laughs> land. If you, uh, it, I mean, if you're just getting started, it's tough. I mean, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, took me – I feel like I could have went to Indiana the first year I ever hunted public and killed deer. Um, Florida, you know, it took me two or three years, you know, before I really, you know, started nailing down deer on public land in Florida. And it was a big learning curve, like what not to even like set a pen on or go look at and what to, you know, maybe give a peek. It, it just, you know, I guess over the years, you know, I've got, you know, so many places just from, you know, walking so much, uh, really during turkey season and during the, uh, during February, March, uh, during small game, uh, that's, that's where I, I learn a whole lot of stuff. That's that one um, thing, but that, oh, sorry, go ahead. I would say, I would say I probably started, um, hunting public land when I was probably you know 23 24 years old and i'm i'll be 30 this year it's about the same for me well yeah it's about the same yeah. for me just kind of like you said it was just a force if i didn't really i mean i guess i had somewhere else to go but life yeah, just I did life too. just kept me up to where it was 
it was easier for me to do it close to home. I could do it more often if I did it here. That's right. Yeah, I was the same way. I, my dad had a place in Alabama. We always had a place in Kentucky. It wasn't really the fact that uh, I didn't have anywhere to go. It was just like, man, that's, you know, a $150 bill in gas. You know, do I want to <laughs> go all the way up there to, and, and hunt for a week and not get to go hunting for three weeks? Or do I just want to go somewhere around the house? Yeah, that uh, the easiest thing you can do gets to you. But man, I tell you, hunting Florida—you see it all the time too on the pages. People are like, "Been hunting for four years, just killed my first year. Been hunting for six years, just killed my first year." Like Florida, really oh, yeah. ain't no joke, and it is a huge learning curve. And people, I don't think—I mean, I know well, it's, I think- it's said all the time, like. You know, how do I find Florida deer? Boots on the ground. Yeah. Every small game season. Yeah. I think a, I think another mistake people make too is then they they one is I think they walk around too much during some people walk around too much during deer season. I feel like most of your foot tromping, you know, should be during that late small game, uh you know, that turkey season, uh, you know, that February, March area, um, and then, you know, summertime. Um, I'll start, you know, checking acorns in September. But another uh, – access is a huge thing, man. I've uh, – and, and and being able to act like not only have a good win once you're sitting in the stand, but, you know, the whole way in and, uh, make, and, and make sure – I mean, you just learn where deer are and where not to walk by, you know, going in there. You know, you'll remember where you ran deer out and know to avoid that area. And it's, you know, it's it's definitely, like you said, it's it's a lot tougher here. It takes a lot longer here than it does, you know, other places. I can't tell you how many times <clears throat> I've gone in with a climber on my back with every intention of going and sitting in a tree that I had previously scouted, put a pin on, knew where I was going to go. And then, uh, I, I show up, uh, you know, expecting to sit at, I don't know, get in the tree about two o'clock in the afternoon. And then next thing you know, it's, uh, four thirty, and I'm like, all right, I just need to stop scouting with this climber on my back and sit down somewhere. Uh, but, some of those spots, I uh, some of those spots I scouted out. I mean, one of them, uh, it was productive for me, and I killed a doe there. And I, I sent a buddy to that spot after I moved away from Kentucky, and he killed a monster eleven point up there out of that, literally out of dang at the same tree I was sitting in. And the funny part is, is I walked. Uh, I bet when I finally settled in and sat there and hunted that spot a few times, the first time I walked, I walked probably two and a half miles to end up about 800 yards from the pickup truck. <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean, it's, I've, 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 if I go to a new area, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm not sit, seeing deer and I'm not feeling good about it, I'll get down and walk. But most play, most of the time, by, by this time of the year, I've, all my steps are already in the trees. I just use six steps. Um, and I've got about 15 sets of them. So I'll move all my stick steps off of acorns, you know, about first 
second week of December in the spots I'm going to hunt during the rut. And so I'm just going in with a little five-pound millennium and a, and a bracket. Um, and I've got a bunch of them saved up, and a lot of times I'll leave the brackets up in the trees. Uh, if it's spots, I know I'm going to go to a lot. So I'm literally just flipping that thing in there once I get up that tree, and I'm hot. Using that, was that M7 micro light? Yeah, I use a I use an M7, and then I also have the, I can't remember what, it, it's the one that has the layback to mm. it and a lot of times like like that stand right there that's in in there where that where that big tall heavy deer is and you know that stand will stay there until the until i either kill him or the or the season goes out now see when i end up running around scouting uh on that it's because i'll have sat somewhere where i've scouted prior and i've looked at sign and then i go in there and i sit and I see deer and I watch them use the area and I see where they come and go from. So then I get down in the morning and I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going to take, I'm going to move my, my tree stand. I'm going to move over about 500 yards that way. And then I get over there 500 yards and I'm like, Ooh, well, I wonder, I bet just on the other side of that little hill right there <laughs> in 500 yards, next thing you know, oh. I've gone a mile and a half toting that climber around <laughs> or whatever I'm hunting out of before I finally find a place to sit. Now, dude, I, I got the most lost. I, the only time I've ever truly felt absolutely lost in the woods, I was doing that. And I had a dang, uh, uh, summit 360 on my back, plus my backpack and my shotgun. And so I was 45 pounds on my back down in some deep holler in Kentucky <laughs> And I stopped, and yeah. I was looking down at sign on the ground, and I stopped, and I looked up, and I said, oh, shit. I don't know which direction I just came in here from. <laughs> and I don't know which direction's north from where I'm at. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's up there in those hills. That sun will get get, a, get down on you and quick. Oh, it was, it was overcast. I couldn't see the sun. So it was middle of the day, oh, but boy. it was overcast. I, all I knew was the sun was overhead somewhere, but... Uh, eventually I just picked a direction and started walking and came out mm, about 900 yards down the road from my truck. And I said, it's time to go home. So I just loaded my crap back in my truck and went back to the house. Didn't hunt that afternoon. Yeah. But. That's an eerie feeling, man. No matter how much time you spend in the woods, I'm not going to recount some stories, but <clears throat> when you're like, fuck, you know, I just, you, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or even if I used to play games where I'd say, well, East is out. Or something like right. that, and, I'd, and then all of a sudden, like you get a little turn around, you're like, "Wait, was it wait, east out or east to get out, or would I go?" You know, you, all of a sudden, well, shit, was it east out or east? In? You know, and then you're, yeah, having to listen to your. That head. was that was one of those things. But I mean, I knew the area that I was hunting in. I wasn't ever really truly lost. Cause it didn't matter which direction I was going to go. I was going to hit a notable boundary, and I could follow that back around in my truck. The question was, how far was I going to have to walk to get back to my truck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, luckily, yeah, I, I've I guessed right. Been, I've definitely been lost before uh, multiple times. Uh, mainly, most of the time in the dark is when I'll get lost. If it, I just... Some of the when I first started out here in this flat flatland swamp, just you know everything looks the same, you know. And you go walking through there, and you'll get in that bamboo grass or whatever it is, and it'll be head high for you know two hundred, three 
hundred yards out through there and just all the trees look the same and it's like <laughs> where am i headed yeah. <laughs> so i what i started doing was i started just putting pins you know about halfway to my stands uh most of the time i access by boat but uh i'll put pins halfway there and then wherever it gets thick or wherever i think that there will definitely be no foot track traffic i'll start me some bright eyes um going in just because i do want to walk a particular trail you know every single right. time in and out um and I, I would like you know a lot of times i i put them things up to where i'm gonna be you know walking an actual you know trail you know that i'm, I'm gonna be a little more quieter on you know not just tromping out through a bunch of palmettas and crap like that there's <laughs> some noisy jokers to walk to Man, that they'll lay. There's some places that I hunt that uh, that like I'll hunt early season. There's some water eggs behind a big palmetto flat, and I've watched them deer lay out in the middle of them so many times. Um, and you would never think they were there because you can't see them. No, you know, take about thirty down, yards even. from them to jump up and run. Yeah, I've been I've been sitting there before, and they walk right up. They stand up in them palmettas a hundred yards, you know, and walk right by you. But I think they the the trick about that spot was uh, getting in there. He was on a little point, and there was a bunch of water in there, and to be able to get to where you needed to be um, with a northwest wind, you had, pretty much had to walk a big circle around it um, to get in there and hunt him. And I ended up ended up killing one of the deer that was in there last year but uh didn't didn't kill the biggest one yeah so you you killed a good buck already one buck already this year didn't you in florida yeah i killed a yeah i killed a i killed about a 17 inch wide uh seven point uh opening day so i shot him that's what i tell people if you're gonna bow hunt about your best chance is about first two weeks in the in the last three weeks uh <laughs> on public land it's it's really tough uh once once small game starts uh it just gets tough um in certain areas you know most of the places i hunt um i'm hunting there and i'm really not walking around because i've walked the whole place and then you know nine times out of ten i'm sitting you know within 150 yards of the you know property line uh Cause it's, I, I tell so many people, it's so much different with a recurve. Like, I, I mean, in certain instances, you know, I might sit a hundred yards off the river somewhere where I could see 300 yards out through some cypress if I thought they were crossing it going back to bed. But, you know, you just can't it'd be like picking a needle in a haystack where you would sit out there with a, you know, a recurve bow. Um, so a lot of times you have to get way you know back to the back to find places that you know where they walk you know trails regularly week to week um because there's just no pressure back there so, uh, okay. i want to hear the story behind this deer you killed in florida well before, before we oh, get okay. into that i, I, I want to talk about something you you covered there <clears throat> briefly touched on with the bright eyes and making sure you're walking the same trail and i don't mm -hmm. think it's something we've touched on a lot <clears throat> using that walking a certain trail in that provides you with the quiet not only uh like being able to get it slipping there quietly but minimizing your ground scent in the area that you're hunting is is a big thing oh, yeah. because the wind That's can huge, be right man. it can be right all you want it to but if you're walking right through where you expect that deer to come in at 
Yeah. They'll pick you up on the ground and they may pick you up on the ground well before they, you ever see them. And that's it. Well, I've seen them pick me up on the ground 40, 50 yards from me and hit a, just a daggone brick wall and then turn around and never see that deer again there in that spot. Um, and that's why I, t- I kind of touched on it with cameras. You know, every single time I go put out a camera, if I'm going to put one out, I put it out the day before it rains. Um, and that's just the thing that I live by. Or if I'm going to go put a stand up or anything like that, because I've seen so many times I'll go put a camera up in a spot. I know there's going to be a deer that <coughs> shows up that, that day or that afternoon or whatever i've had them show up two three hours after i put the camera up looks at the camera and then you know never walks by it again i don't know that he's i I don't think they're just not not walking through there i think he's just choosing not walks by not to walk by that camera you know once he smells because the thing is if he's 20 30 yards away from it on that trail and you didn't leave any ground sense so he's not going to walk right up to it you know he may not hear it especially if it's on a ditch or something like in water but that ground scent is just huge like man i'll i'll put coon piss and fox piss whatever i can find at the local outdoor store on my boots every time i walk in you know i think that's the lesson we could take from guys who trap because scent is a big thing and i mean when oh, it comes yeah. to trapping and but between boiling traps and linseed oil you get the scent of metal and all everything else they do to foothold traps and whatever else just to make oh, sure yeah. all that set to catching for catching bobcats and coyotes man that's something we gotta try and do is find somebody who traps let's talk about trapping and scent control and when it comes to you know minimizing ground scent because those guys that are good at fur trapping They've got scent control down to an absolute science. Not necessarily play in the wind, but ground scent control. Uh, and, and not uh, leaving scent on everything you touch. I'll, I'll, from what little bit I learned from people that I know that do it, that's definitely a thing. But I would say it's more to them, the people, what, what they thought was most important was like, the, I guess I'm not going to sit here and say I know everything about it but this is what they said and i'll try to explain it best i can is i guess the the what the set looked like you know because i guess all those predators are very visual animals mm-hmm. too you know yeah. a coyote or bobcat will pick you out in a tree way before a deer will a lot of times um and if that ground doesn't feel right to them when they step down you know they'll move out of there real quick and you have to dig a hole i guess you know set your stake or whatever um you're gonna have your trap uh uh hooked to but uh that's what they were real they would use like some uh some kind of some kind of like topsoil it almost looked like to me and they call he called it something started with a p i want to I want to say, and and that was his big thing was making sure that that ground felt like all the rest of the ground around it, and uh, that they couldn't see anything. And he would dig a little hole, and that's where he'd put his scent. You know, that's it's something else. I like I watched because I I guess I guess the hole is is to replicate a mouse. Or something, you know, done dug a hole and crowd or a, or a mole or whatever. I, I'm not really sure on that. 
beats beats the piss out of me, man. I, <laughs> yeah. An old man's property he's on up in Tennessee. He trapped a lot of bobcats, and he would, dude, you go go around his property. And I noticed one day, and I, I asked him, I said, Mister Junior, I said, why are there busted, like splayed open bottoms of cans hung up in the trees? He said, oh, that's where I put my bobcat sets. I said, well, what do you have the cans there for? He said, the shiny thing, the shiny things attract them. He said, that sucker gets blown oh, yeah. in the wind. I was like, huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> uh, but I never learned much from him. By the time I got there, he had really, for the most part, he ran a few traps here and there, but not enough that I was able to, not that I took the time to try to, to learn anything from him, but I wish I would have asked more questions about it. But you go back to what you were saying. I was just saying, I wanted to hear the story of its Florida deer. Man, um, it was actually, I, I, I couldn't believe it happened um, when it did, or the way it did. Um, I'd found some good sun, and I'd found some chestnuts dropping, um, and it was a big tree. I had a lot of acorns in it, and uh, there was probably 250 yards. There was a private field that had been planted in corn, a bunch of those deer were just funneling out the back corner of that cornfield. Um, and, I mean, the the public literally went right up to the edge of the field so you could walk up there, and I saw where they were coming out of the back corner. And uh, so I went back and started looking for where I was going. I was going to – in that time of the year, I knew I was going to have to kill them in the morning just because I wouldn't get a, you know, a cold enough day in the afternoon for the wind to be right because um, I needed a north, some kind of north wind. So I kind of went back, and I found found this tree, and there was a, a, quite a few trails intersecting there. It was the end of a big logging road that kind of pinched down between a cypress head and a little cypress pond. And uh, I hung a stand. Um, I really liked it. I'd gotten some big deering on camera in there during the summer, uh, kind of in between two little cypress ponds uh where there was uh some heavy foot traffic coming through there and i got a big a really big nine like big nine like would have been probably i don't know how many big deer like this have been killed on public land with a recurve but if i if i would have killed him i would think that it's been the biggest one ever killed around here um with a recurve but um he was had to been 140 145 inches just mm. big massive wide uh tall time nine point and i had him on camera in velvet and he was actually with the deer that i ended up killing and that morning i got in there probably i knew they were going to be on those chestnuts early so i didn't put my stand right on top of it i found i, I kind of got south of it and uh probably 75 to 80 yards where there was three good trails leaving it and uh, that's because I didn't want to run them out going in. And uh, I got in there. I, I, I actually went and camped that weekend. So I was in a tent on the river. Um, and I set up camp probably five, or six, five, six o'clock. Went to bed early and got up probably three or four. And, you know, I figured I was there. Might as well go get in the tree and get quiet. And, um, I probably had five, six deer come under me in the dark. Um, I would say that I, I'm not going to say that it was him, 
but I, I I did have a deer come under me that just didn't act like the rest of them. Got to the base of my tree. I mean, literally walked right under me and stopped for a while. Just kind of acted like a buck because all three of the bucks that I'd gotten on camera um, with this deer all showed up that morning, um, except for him. Um, so talking they, about uh, that that real big buck. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was definitely him. Under me in the dark. That was that was definitely him. Yeah. I mean, we'll stick with that. He was there. uh, He came there, (laughs) flipped you the bird, went on about his business. Dude, I think deer that get that big, like I think even early they don't hang out with other deer. I think as soon as they rub out a velvet, because it it boils, it goes to this too. Like as soon as the first thing i knew that told me the deer that were the bucks that were there that i ended up shooting into were there where they were tickling horns together and i think when one deer's got a rack way bigger than everybody else or either way it got 75 80 pounds he goes to tickling and nobody else wants to tickle back i guess (laughs) Um, because it seems like every time you know i get a really big deer on camera the next time i get a picture of him he's by himself no matter you know, and it'll be end of October, you know, first of November. Um, but anyway, they, they had some does filter through. I actually had a doe come right under me and kind of smell where I got up the tree. And I really, man, I was really wanting to shoot her because she, I knew she was going to blow at me. She got behind me and she blowed at me a few times. Well, you know, I was like, well, crap, you know, it's probably you know, about all this is going to be. And I was sitting there and I, I hadn't even seen them lay down. And I looked up and there was two, three does laid down right out in front of me. And, um, I was just sitting there watching them and I'd heard what I thought was fighting, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't like they were really getting after it. You know, it was kind of like I said, just touching the horns. And anyway, those does got up and uh, started leaving. So then I knew, you know, something was up and then I could hear footsteps and I videoed them fighting out there at 40, 50 yards for probably 10, 15 minutes. And man, they came right to me and I, there was a eight point that was a little narrower, but was heavier. I thought was a little older deer and uh, he was actually behind some stuff. I I had a bunch of cover around me. I just, I just where it was at there wasn't very many big trees to get on so i wanted to be i was kind of like behind a line of a couple of trees and some of those limbs coming off were covering him up but they literally i had a small four point under me that was in front of him that was the deer other deer that i got on camera with him and uh i didn't want you know i knew i needed to get rid of an arrow before you know he either saw me or smelt where I went up the tree, so I just shot the the wide seven. They were actually touching the horns when I released there. That's awesome. That's a yeah. Never never had a clue I was there. Ran ran right up under me um, when he took off out of there. Um, didn't go seventy five hundred yards. Watched him fall. What are you are you shooting like a, a real heavy arrow out of that or? Um, I'm shooting a, I, I, I think I shoot a lot lighter than what most people would shoot. Um, uh, 
and a lot of people are like how you get that to fly good and i don't know that my air flies good all the time or <laughs> is it's just good going so damn fast it doesn't have time to uh, wobble around any i don't i don't know but uh i shoot a 400 spine arrow now i get it cut like an inch to an inch and a half um probably an inch and a half longer most of the time is what i do than what my draw length is um and i shoot 54 pounds at 28 inches and i'm shooting i'll go from 135 grain magnus stingers to 150 grain uh simmons tree sharks sometimes uh i've shot zwickies 135 grains it was but uh that's usually what I'm shooting a 400 spine arrow with a 135 to 150 grain uh, two blade. You know, something with maybe have some bleeder blades like the Stinger does, uh, but for the most part, two blade head. Um, no kind of ins or weighted inserts or nothing like nothing like that. I think the 400 spine arrow to me is the key because everything that uh, with my draw length tells you to get. 500 spine arrows and i just don't think they get the penetrate same penetration that uh 400s do because it's a smaller diameter arrow you go to cutting that arrow down it makes it stiffer depending on the way your broadhead and oh yeah stuff like that so you can get away with shooting a, a weaker spined arrow uh as long as it's shorter depending on how heavy your broadhead yeah. is that's right. I just, I really like the smaller diameter on the uh, 400 spine. I think that helps you get a lot of penetration too, um, as well. You know, it's not like trying to throw a log through there. There's something to those micro diameter arrows, man. Even going beyond, you know, thinner than the, the 400 spines, like the ones that are true micro diameter and the guys shooting those. I mean, you can get them. They're lighter weight, but it is, you know, smaller than the insert. It's usually the insert for the broadhead is bulged, bulged out at the end. So your yeah, arrow has like less resistance. That. I don't like them that thin. I usually just go with just regular, you know, 400. I've seen right. the really, really thin ones, and I've actually shot some before. I, I've got a buddy who shoots those with like an outsert i don't know if y'all have ever heard of an outsert before but it's like a screw in insert that goes in there and it's like outside the end it like sticks out the end of the shaft it's crazy um and he shoots that and i don't i shot one out of my boat and it come out of there like a boomerang so i was <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> i don't know how the hell you do this well there was there was a company at one point making some sort of weighted uh thing that when you basically put a broadhead insert in both ends of your arrow and then you screwed that if you're shooting a hundred grain broadhead it was a counterweight to kind of balance the arrow yeah, they, over. and you could that's what your fletchings were on it was at the back of the arrow man and that that came and went with a flash uh from what i know yeah. i mean i haven't seen anything of it recently in, in many years since the first time i saw it and that was probably when i was watching hunting on a television that was only, you know, maybe with a 15-inch screen. That was back when they measured screens on TVs left to right, and that, you know, TV still weighed 50 pounds, even though it only had a 15-inch <laughs> screen on it. So probably had a VCR on the bottom, too. Yeah. Uh, but 
Yeah, I've uh, that, they've come up with a lot of stuff throughout the years. I think one of the biggest probably shams is like the uh, the mechanical broadheads. Um, some of them are great. I, I mean, the rages are, are pretty good, pretty good heads. But man, just think of all the ones that they came out with that were just trash. You know. Well, you know, I I've noticed a, a kind of a turning back to the traditional way you you can see it in the um, camouflage industry right so you look at Realtree and Mossy Oak and all those guys they're all going back to virtually the same vintage patterns they had when they first started producing the old tree bark patterns making a comeback Uh, instead of shooting mechanicals everybody's starting to shoot you know fixed blades again uh, shooting heavier arrows and you know speed isn't what everybody's going for it when it comes to bohun and you see that a lot in the dang traditional archery community Cam- camouflage is just getting thrown off the thrown on the shelf entirely switching back to plaid and mute colors and you know <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> yeah I, tr- I don't know if you can get away with that in florida they, those are probably some indiana boys that are switching to the plaid i still got my mossy oak on when I <laughs> jump up in a tree <laughs> i don't know about the plaid for the top but i'm uh I'm a mute color pants guy all day. I, I'll wear a, a oh, yeah. tan or a brown pair of pants to the stand all day. I've got some dark green pairs and some dark brown and kind of this one was green. Now it's faded out, but I'll wear that all day long. And usually I just put like some bottom land, a bottom land hoodie, you know, yeah. or something on top of that. And it blends, you know, you end up blending into the tree pretty good. It's the bottomland, is what it is. Can't go wrong with it. Yeah, but but bottomland is yeah. is a return to the vintage camouflage. Yeah, it is. It oh is. yeah, because yeah, it's you go one back of the and look. Ones they came out with. Right, right. Just looks like tree it, bark. It goes. It goes to show you, man. They already in, they already invented the, the best thing. So don't mm-hmm. let them sell you that new that newfangled. Yeah, uh, they're all just trying gimmick. to reinvent the wheels. All they're doing. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's it's just a way for them to be able to charge more money for something, or to be able to say this is better than that, so you should buy this. Take, take, I'm gonna pick a little bit. Kill deer. Take a look at First Light, one of their new camo patterns, and then go pull up East German East German digicami from the like the 1980s. Like Flectarn, it's the same damn yeah. pattern. <laughs> well, you, new. You look at, oh, you know. Our dad just stepped up, sent us a picture the other day. He's like, "I'm back in style again," and he's wearing some matching set of camouflage. Looks brand new from when he first started hunting, and it looks like he just went. And, you, you'd have thought he went down to the big box store, picked it up, and brought it home with him. Now he's had it in the closet all these years. <laughs> yeah, and he's head to toe in the tree, old tree bark camo, you know. But hell, tree man, bark I, camera is hard to beat. It is, it is, and it it works. Uh, it, but it's the, but you look at a lot of that older camo, like the tree bark camo in the the uh, bottom land, and some of these other patterns starting to come out with. You're you're seeing, uh, you're you're kind of they're kind of switching away from having. Uh, oh look, I can see sticks and leaves in my camouflage. To hey, this is a breakup pattern that literally. It with a pattern, what you want on a camouflage is you want it to break up your outline, not so much hide you. That's right. But to make it to where it's not easy to uh, 
like that's right. see your outline in the tree. And if you can do that, and you, man, the biggest key to hiding in the woods and any kind of camouflage is to sit in a shadow. Don't sit in the sunshine. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I try to find a tree with a lot of cover um, is one of my big things. It's either tucked up next to some trees that like some magnolias or water oaks or cedars or something with a bunch of cover on it. And, you know, sometimes you can find that perfect spot that's got plenty of cover that's where you need to be wind-wise, and sometimes you don't. Uh, but going to the outline thing, I see a lot of guys, you know, getting into the saddle deal um and i know a bunch of my buddies down here get pegged and and i i've never really hunted out of one just because i've always thought it was more comfortable just to sit down um and with the uh five pound you know stands they have nowadays you know you don't have to tote you know no i i can clip that thing on my backpack um and most of my steps are already in the trees so i can just go straight in um but i think when you're hanging off the side of the tree like that i think those deer and you're not sitting up against it i think they just outline the crap out i i know bucks do because he had a deer that i i had coming in there every day um and he sat there and he of course he, he saw some does and i don't know that does pay attention to you as much but this deer I mean, he said picked him out of the tree 60, 70 yards before he got there. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to, I don't know how high he was. He could have been 10, you know, 8, 10 foot off the ground. Um, but I think, I think they do definitely outline you. And it just restricts you shooting wise so much. You know, it's really tough to shoot to your offside, really tough to shoot behind you. Um, with a recurve, you never would be able to shoot in front of you. Your your limb would hit the tree uh, just with the way I have to camp my bow. Um, so it, it just works out so much better for me, and I think they don't outline you, you know, when you're sitting up against that tree and that lock-on. I think so, a lot of times, A lot of times I shoot sitting down. I don't ever stand up um, unless it's a – a farther shot or the deer comes in there chasing i think i've got time and they're not really fixated on me very much it's not very quiet you know they're making some noise i'll stand up but if those deer are coming in there feeding uh i'll, I'll just sit down and um shoot sitting down i think an easy mistake uh to make <clears throat> as a new saddle hunter coming from because <clears throat> we just really started hunting out of saddles this year and it was a harder transition for me in the line of thinking um, when you're going from a climber or going from a lock-on hunting in a saddle. When you sit in your modern climber or a lock-on, the way you sit, you're facing, uh, you're on the side of the tree that's facing what you want to hunt. Whereas when you sit in a mm -hmm. saddle, you want to think more of the old-style climbers that used to face the tree. And you want to yeah. be on the back side of the tree from where, where right. you're hunting. So when you do that, you get automatic cover from the tree. And uh, I'm going to have to figure out how to see what I can do out of shooting that bow out of that saddle. It'll be interesting. But I'm going to start running a hybrid setup this year. Uh, when I do hunt out of the saddle, I also have the Millennium M7, and I'm going to use that as a, a platform. That's that's what a lot of, of my buddies do. 
Um, now they run both of them. Uh, now that they've seen me use the M7 a little bit, they've kind of went from, you know, straight saddle to they all tow the M7 in there with them because I think, I think a lot of them too, you know, they, you know, if you're going to hunt all day, you know, those things are comfortable, but man, you know, to sit there all day long like that, especially early, um, is a, is a definite uh to me would i've sat I've, I've sat in one before to me i i wouldn't be able to feel my toes by the end of it it's a it's something you got to really <laughs> play with and figure out but i mean I, I sat in mine for six and a half hours one day and i was all right and i'm a big dude yeah yeah you're uh, six I mean, six one 250 pounds and i sat in that thing for six six and a half hours from about we went out late that morning the full moon sat from nine thirty ten o'clock till dark which is about seven having a good back band helps a lot yeah i i had some i, I don't even know you could have called this a saddle this <laughs> this was something that my dad had given me back in the day that i sat in one time and uh it was just some stuck because back then you know they'd have all safety belts that would strap around the tree that they'd climb up there with mm-hmm. hang with but Hell, that Dave, the saddle was around. I, if I remember correctly, it was a homemade thing, and they used them before the climbing stand was a thing. And hell, I'd rather hunt out of one of those homemade things than some of the first climbing stands that came out. Because good lord, them things were scary oh, yeah. looking. First floor coming oh, up. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I told you about that oh, one. Yeah. I had the bottom drop out on me and ended up shimmying down a pine tree back in the day uh-uh yeah the, <laughs> one of those when you face this you face the tree oh yeah yeah i hunted out of a, a worn and sweat uh tree facing climber for a long time and that thing was um how do you say it it was uncomfortable there ain't no way to say it. it was uncomfortable uh but it was the only one i was hunting the ocal national forest my dad sure as heck i didn't want to use the api that i had and he wasn't gonna let me use anything else besides that because somebody stole it he was out he didn't want to hunt that thing anyway. I was like, well, I guess that's what we're hunting out of then. And, uh, I mean, I bow hunted out of it. So it got the job done, but it was not an easy stand to figure out how to maneuver around because you're facing the tree. So it's different. And then, you know, I hunt out, I got a, a Summit 360 now, so I can face the tree. I rarely do. I just bought it so that I had that rounded front, more room for my legs. But you can't, I mean, to say a saddle's comfortable is not a lie, but it's not as comfortable as sitting in a good lock-on or a, or a good, uh, like a Millennium lock-on or that Summit with the Hasmore seat in it. It's a different type of... It's, it's, you, you sacrifice that extra level of comfort. It's, it's like sitting in a wooden chair versus sitting in a Lazy Boy. You can be comfortable in a wooden right. chair because sitting beats standing. Uh, and I can, I can do a lot more and hunt in a lot different trees with a saddle, even that I couldn't hunt with a lock on out of, um, because I can, you know, I don't, I don't even need a set of sticks. I can, you know, climb up with one stick into any crooked tree you can imagine. And then literally rappel back down out of the tree and I have to worry about climbing back down in the dark. Oh yeah. Can't do that in a climber. I got to have dang near a pine tree or a straight tree. And then a lock on, you know, you get into a leaning, hard leaning tree you can't hunt out of a lock on it makes it more difficult so there's you definitely definitely get more tree, trees uh out of the deal uh with a saddle because you're right there's some places you know that 
you just I've I've sat there and look, had to you know pick my brain for 15 minutes on which tree I'm gonna get it in you know because one has no cover the other one's leaning you know so uh, definitely gives you more options. That's that's one of those things, man. And I I like the saddle, and I like my climber, and I like hunting out of a lock on. I like I really like hunting out of a ladder stand. And the best thing on a cold morning is a nice box blind. It's man, I think that bigger <laughs> that bigger millennium that I have. That's why you know, like I'd said, I'd left it in that spot. If I'm gonna go sit somewhere all day, like that's what I want to be sitting in. Um, because even the M7. You know, I, I can only take so much. Right. <laughs> it, there is no end-all, be-all tree stand setup. Each have their own advantages and disadvantages. The The key is to knowing <clears throat> is knowing when to apply the right tool for the right job. That's right. That's right. I mean, like that, that bigger one, It it's just, it's a, it's a lot well, it's really long, um, and it, it's about the same weight as a climber. So um, that's why whenever I, I very – unless I'm, you know, walking 250, 300 yards, I'm not toting that thing. It's it's usually put somewhere, and it stays there. You said Lisa <clears throat> a year Cameron Gordon posted a picture that he built like a platform. I want to say it was a full sheet of plywood. They just built big old tabletop up somewhere. Oh yeah, we had a we had a, I killed my first buck. This buck right here behind us, out of a tree stand, we called the front porch. Uh-huh. We called it the front porch because it was a sheet of plywood and a half between three trees, about yeah. eleven feet off the ground. You could fit three rocking chairs up there comfortably. Well, that's what he said. He said yeah. his, his Facebook post was like done and i said until i see a lazy boy in an ice chest that shit ain't done yeah (laughs) like you got that kind of platform you got to cush it out man we had we had that thing strung up between three trees and then a rail all the way around it so you could hang uh blind material just sit up there in those trees and and i like i said i killed that bucket 30 yards out of it tree fork yeah pretty much i like stands like that pretty much those those old ingenuity cram them up in a tree somehow man some of those stands i've seen you see the old ones out on public land especially in places like georgia and stuff like that you look up there and it's 45 feet up in a tree and you're like how the hell (laughs) ain't no way (laughs) looking for the gravestone underneath it yeah got those hundred penny spikes sticking out of the tree or something (laughs) and they're way too far apart for you to be trying to stretch your leg yeah, <laughs> railroad spikes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know I, what? Somebody I, killed I, a deer out of it. I guarantee it. Usually about twenty-five foot's about about as high as I'll go. Now with the recurve, I've just found that you know once you go any higher, you just make your angle so bad. You know, um, <laughs> dropping bombs on them. <laughs> yeah, it's like. It's a, it's a lot harder with a recurve, too, because when when they're right up under you like that, it just seems you always hit higher than what, you know, you think you should. Um, I don't know why. I don't know if it's how that air comes out of there when you're holding that bow straight down, but um, it just, it's different. I, I find myself, found myself a lot last year hunting at about 12 to 15 feet off the ground. I'm about 20, 25 is usually what, 
what I like to get. I'm I'm about. Uh, I would say I really like to be 25, and if I'm going to get 20, um, there's going to be a lot, lot of cover around me. Um, like I'm going to be t- when I when I say cover, I'm going to be tucked into something like, you know, when you walk. Uh, I mean, most of the people I have that when I used to hunt a lot of walk-in stuff. Most of the people that would walk by me wouldn't see me until I, you know, said something to them. Right. And a lot of time, and a lot of times, I'd be wearing an orange hat, you know, sitting up there. How high was I uh, when we did that hunt in Rock Springs? Nine feet. Yeah. <laughs> went up. It was pretty dark, and I had no way of really judging. It was the first time I went up in this climber, and I just didn't really have any idea how high up I was at night. For the sun, because I mean, it was really dark that morning. I, I had t- no moon. I'd have told you I was well, 18, 19 there, feet in the air. You get there and you strap that dead gum climber around there real tight, like I used to do sometimes. And you so wore out by about the first three minutes, you're like, damn, I had to have gone at least, you know, what, 20, 30 feet by now? <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, man. <laughs> or trying to estimate the angle. You're, you're five, foot, five foot up the tree. Yeah, that, that's what happened <laughs> okay, to me. I got one for you. <clears throat> I was hunting on a, a big fire break up in uh, Kentucky. I'm going to go grab a beer real quick, guys. I'll be right back. Go for it. Let's take a break real quick. The Under Pressure Outdoors podcast is brought to you in part by Hang Free. With a mission to provide top quality products for the best possible price, Hang Free believes that the saddle hunting experience is worth more than money. They create both tried and true products as well as debut new items to the saddle hunting community, creating a community of saddle hunters that don't have to break the bank to participate in a hobby that they love. Do yourself a favor and join the Hang Free family this hunting season. They truly have everything you need. Don't forget to use offer code UPO10 at checkout for 10% off your order at hangfree.co. So <clears throat> I I was sitting on a, a big fire break. And when I say fire break, it's really like a log in, the road in uh, Kentucky. And I knew that... Uh, I was hurting that morning. My back was killing me. Uh, I was like, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to go down here. I'm going to sit in this uh, curve where I can see both sides, you know, see the road going two directions. I know the deer are crossing back and forth. There's a big uh, dead or, you know, dried by standing cornfield uh, to one way, and the rest was woods, you know, the road through the woods. So I get down there, and I start looking around for a tree I could put my climber in. And I find one. And I had walked like back off the road to get onto it and I climbed up it and it's pitch black dark and I get sat down. I'm like, okay. So I'm kind of angled to where I'm facing into the corner so I can see both roads without moving too much. And then, uh, sunlight comes up and I'm looking to my right and like, all right, I can see that there I'm, you know, 15 feet off the ground, 15, 20 feet. I can see down all through there real good. And I look back to my left and I'm sitting eye level with the road. Cause I walked downhill. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Well, I have to keep a good eye on this side because ain't gonna look up to find me here." <laughs> you get in them hills, man. I've I've had the same problem. Been in Illinois and get there and you get fifteen foot up the tree and it's forty foot on one side and, and your eye level on the other. It's nuts. Then I've had it before where you go and just set a chair. We, we had like a tree seat sitting at the base of a tree on top of a hill, and you're 80 feet off the ground before you get to the bottom. Oh, yeah. 
God forbid you fall asleep. You got a long way to roll before you can stand up again. <laughs> we hunted the Cherokee National Forest. Me and my buddy River Dan. He uh, he's one of my best turkey hunting buddies. I'd have to say. And we uh, man, there's some places there that you we it, we had to. If there wouldn't have been saplings going all the way up the hill, we'd have never made it up. I mean, the leaves <laughs> are so thick and it's so steep. You, uh, it, we went down there, we, we learned our lesson. The first turkey we ever went after, we were on the edge of this big old gully. I mean, huge. Those mount, roads would just wrap around the mountains. And turkey gobbled, and we bailed off down in that thing. <laughs> and we learned real quick, you don't walk the holes of the turkeys. You walk the tops of daggum ridges to turkeys. <laughs> and uh, we learned our lesson on that pretty quick and in the hills. Those hills are different, and, and I, you know, William tried to explain it before we went up there and hunted, but it's it's a completely different animal. I love it. I, I want to go back to it. You killed a good deer though in Kentucky this year too, didn't you? Um, I didn't kill one in Kentucky this year. I killed one in North Dakota. Um, I killed a really oh, good yeah, deer. Oh yeah, that's right. That was your uh, belt. North Dakota. Could have actually shot. A, a nine point the next day was just sitting there with a camera um and video i'll send it to you when we get off but video at about 135 140 inch nine point the next day but he was rubbed out um so i'm kind of glad um i shot the deer i did um i really did want to get one in velvet um but yeah I, i've i've found that i try to just when i go up there now i just try to find thick cover and I just kind of try to get on the on the south side of it, you know, where a north winds blow. And I just sit the edges a lot of times, places that pinch down next to some water, you know, give me a chance at anything that's going to, you know, patrol the downwind side of that thick bedding area. And, and I've had some pretty good luck doing it up there. But a lot of, like, one of the places we went, we dropped my kayak in off a bridge, and there was a big dam there that you couldn't get across with a boat. So we were just paddling down a mile from that dam and uh, some land, land, river lock, water locked, landlocked stuff. That's what we kind of try to, or I kind of try to find when I go up there. I kind of try to find, like, now where's nobody going to get and where's the thickest place I can find in there. That, that, sometimes that's... All it takes, and the other times you hunt some of the places that are just hunted so, to death. It's so open up there, you know. It's not like down here. Um, yeah. Any kind of thick cover seems to hold. You know, deer seem to bed there. Some sometimes it takes putting you know three or four miles from the truck, and then other places they get hunted to death, and they're right by the gate. Yeah, oh yeah, a hundred yards from oh, the yeah. truck because everybody <laughs> goes in there, pushes them back out. And I don't know, I've said yeah. it once, I'll say it again. I think e-bikes are going to uh, start pushing deer back to where you park. Yeah. You, know, you make it easier That's to get in right. deeper, and the deer are just going to change patterns once they get hunted where they used to be safe. You know me, man? I always, man, have, to, I really, I always have the boundaries. Yeah. You know? I, really, I really hate the e-bike thing. Um, I don't think it should be. I don't think it should be legal on public land because it's just like a way of saying – all right, you're not gonna spend two thousand dollars on a man sickle, so you know you got to walk three miles. You know, <laughs> when I can, I, 
you know so like i i just feel like it's really unfair which i feel like there's a lot of things in florida that are kind of dumb like the fact that you can where i'm at i don't know about you guys but you can shoot five 10 inch spikes a year but you can't shoot any does if you are shooting a rifle and that's all you got on public land um to me that's just or you have to draw a permit um, I was going to say, man, that's just like saying, you know, like I would rather you shoot five, three points, you know, than shoot five does. Cause that's what people are going to do. And you can't blame them for doing it because, you know, that may be the only, you know, five, they may only see five, three points, you know, they may not see a deer bigger than that the rest of the year. And that's got a lot to do. Florida's deer herds a bit, it's wonky we just don't have the agriculture that georgia and alabama and everywhere else does so you it takes so many more does to produce uh a buck fawn a, a viable fawn that makes it to the next year that I, they just don't allow that harvest like that i was gonna say man you say that and like in our area we don't but in his area like up in the panhandle the agriculture is just as plentiful in that area Florida than it is in Georgia. We'll have the soil here. may not be as we'll, good. There's so, many, there's so many deer here that we'll have. I see deer a lot. I'm starting to see a lot of deer now that look poor. Like I had a deer, a doe come in the other afternoon. Um, a, a couple, I, I've got a couple of does on camera. One hour, you can see every one of her ribs and it's like her hips are busting out of her skin. Um, and I think that's one thing that you go back to fawns. Well, she had a suckling fawn that was trying to suckle the whole time. Well, you know, you talk about fawn survival. Well, if you've got all these deer because you don't shoot any does and they eat up all these like on a year like this year up here where we have no water oak crop just about and you have all these deer and there's nothing to eat. And, you know, half of those fawns aren't going to survive. I had a coyote come in and run every single deer that I had around me out the other day and split one of the fawns off. And um, I, I think that's a big thing is that there's so many deer that there's not enough to eat. And the does, I don't think they're really as protective, you know, some of the fawns as they should be because they're so poor from having to feed them all, you know, summer, winter long without any food. Well, it's possible. I mean, I, I, I talking with one of the, one of our buddies at the small game hunt <clears throat> uh, back of our New Year's weekend, and you know he's been struggling to kill a deer here in Florida, and uh, we walked around all over that WMA in Georgia, and I'm like, man, maybe you just buy you an out of state license, come up here to Georgia, and camp and hunt these WMAs up here because there's a lot of the WMAs up there you're following they'll tell you right there in regulations state season and bag limits statewide season and bag yep. limits that's Georgia's a rule. good state Georgia's yeah. got some good public land too Not, Alabama's a good state neither one of them have near as much public land as we do but it's a little more free reign on what you can harvest as far as does go oh yeah nine, nine does yeah I sat the other morning on public land and saw, I saw 16 does and saw one buck. I and never even I've thought got of seeing 16 eight or nine, does in Florida. I've, 
I've 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 got eight or nine different bucks on camera in there, so I know they're there. But the fact that there's 16 does in there, well, you know, whenever they do come in estrus, you know, that deer's not going to have to do nothing but, you know, walk 100 yards and, you know, lay back down with her, you know. So it's going to be, it kind of cuts your rut down a whole lot, too, and what you you see, what you don't see. It don't matter how hard we try to cut down, and I I watched them do it on uh, Fort Campbell. Uh, when I was stationed up there, they tried to cut the deer population down to a one-to-one ratio by instilling an earn-a-buck program and taking the season bag limit off a of dose. Still only kill one buck, which when it started, you had to kill a doe first. And then they got that ratio down from a like a three-to-one, three or four-to-one to a one or two, two-to-three-to-one ratio in a matter of two years. And they wanted it to make a rut more like you would see in the Midwest, where there's a lot of chasing and fighting and just action is on. It didn't happen. No. They just don't. Yeah. And it, and it's You're not going see it, to see it that much, but you'll definitely see uh, um, see it pick up. Because I'll, I'll tell you just from firsthand experience, um, we had a place out in, um, and well, it's a place we have now in Alabama, and the guys at least before us they had to just went and shot every daggum doe they ever saw because when you first sat there uh, the first year we had it you'd sit out there it was just about impossible to see a doe and you wouldn't really see any deer until january rolled around january rolled around you could sit any clear cut on that place and it was like a freaking zoo and i mean you wouldn't see any hardly any does in you'd see two or three but every one of them have three or four different bucks around or one chasing another two off um and that's alabama yeah so i think if you get it down right there's no way you can say that it that it wouldn't i i don't think you're gonna see a whole big difference in it on public land unless you're sitting somewhere where those deer live i think a lot of people you know get in their minds you know i'm on a good spot there's a bunch of rubs here there's this and that well, I'll tell people all the time, 90% of the time where I'm sitting at, there's not any rubs because I believe that most of that's done at night. Um, and I think a lot of people get it in their mind, you know, well, I'm, I'm still not seeing the action I should be seeing. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest, that's got a whole lot to do with why you don't. Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot thicker here, too. You know, so you're not a lot of times covering as much ground and the deer that the the deer that do live there on public land are going to be in that, in that thicker stuff. Um, so I think it would make a big difference if we cut down on, on our doe population up here. I'm not going to say, um, as far as you guys go down there, because I don't spend any, any time down that way. Now I, I can tell you when it comes to seeing that chasing activity during a rut, and this is just a theory and I've heard people say it before and I, tend to agree with it part of it uh i think you see a lot more chasing and uh fighting and a lot of daylight activity going on up in the upper midwest when it comes to rut activity because one there's a ungodly amount of nutrition that those those bucks can literally just fatten up on for months prior to that so they don't they've got a lot more stores to run off of for two or three weeks uh, than we have anywhere down here. And then two is the temperature. 
So it's not near as hot. The deer don't get overheated. They don't have to stop near as easy. You know, yep. and even in Kentucky, it sure it gets plenty cold up there. But rut usually kicks in in that area right around Veterans Day weekend before uh, before Thanksgiving. And I've seen it be anywhere from 19 degrees to 81 degrees. So you never really know what you're going to get. And when it's good and cold, the deer are on their feet and they are chasing. And when it's, when it's oh, yeah. warm, you know, when your highs are in the low 50s, mid 50s, high 60s during the day, they're chasing at night. They'll chase at night when oh, it drops yeah. down to 35 degrees. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely better up there when it does get cold. Um, but I'll sit here and be the, be the first to tell you, I almost think it's, it's almost like hunting two different species of animal when you hunt those deer up there. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Hunting these deer down here. Um, you know, I've had bucks look at me up in the tree up there. And, you know, go back to what they were doing. If that happened down here, you know, that joker's, you know, a mile away from where I'm at if he's, you know, looked right up at me in the tree. Um, I think it just has a lot to do with, like you said, you know, with, with the nighttime. I think a lot of these bucks are so pressured. They get hunted so much. And, you, like you said, with the less cold temperatures, they don't have to get up and walk, you know, during the day. So they just choose to do most of their rutting at night. Makes sense. Somehow we figure it out. Oh, we do. Yeah. Eventually. Yep. Eventually, once you figure out deer on public land in Florida, you can figure out deer anywhere. But it does make it, when you're battling that, when you're battling all the nighttime rut activity and you're battling, you know, a giant herd of does, you know, then you're, you know, it's like, like I like to call it a lot of time trying to do the impossible, but sometimes it happens and you, it all works out. Um, I, I I love hunting Florida just for the challenge of it. You know. Um, well, I'm, what do you what I'm, do you think I'm, the rest of uh, what do you think the rest of this twenty three twenty four deer season has in store for you? Got any hopes and dreams for it? Closes out here for too long. Man, I'd like to just kill that that big heavy horn deer. Um, I'll be sitting on the big nine. Um, you know, days some days, and I mean, I've I've got a whole bunch of spots I sit and not really running a whole lot of cameras this year like i'd said kind of trying to get away from that and just going and sit in good spots and hopefully kill kill a mature deer or two with the recurve before it before it all ends well i know we've got uh we, we literally have the man who killed the biggest buck in the state of florida coming up next week yeah that's gonna be a fun one but you know i, d I do want to say while we're at it if you're not already uh, a tool that we have very just recently added to our florida hunting oh we just uh, talked about it last week <clears throat> yeah and and you'll hear it this monday um but a tool that we've just added to our florida hunting that's going to be a game changer is uh, spartan forge so it's like onyx but uh it'll make you want to delete onyx yeah i've never used the onyx um I use the hunt stand now, um, but I'll have to go check it out. It, I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's better than, than any of the other ones out there. It has what's called LIDAR on it, and that's not, you know, there, there's a lot to it that you'll hear in the, the, you've already heard it at this point, but 
you know, uh, talking to you right now, you'll hear it in the podcast next week. There's a lot more to it than that, but it has LIDAR, uh, and that really helps in this flat country, Florida, where, like, if you look at a topo, you don't really see much on a topo, but the LIDAR shows you, I mean, every single little change in the ground. Yeah, that's, I, I really like the quad topo layer that I have on my hunt stand app, and it, it I'm sure that what you're talking about is probably more in depth, more detailed. Um, but it actually will show like little ditches, little sloughs, um, little small changes in elevation. Um, and that's the one that I find myself using a lot of times. Like I, I, I usually always find a spot with that first, you know, and then kind of go towards the aerial imagery of it. Yeah. Well, one thing that would help you a lot in Florida with that old LIDAR, <clears throat> with the LIDAR is you can see uh, historic fire breaks yeah. that are otherwise That's overgrown. Like great. you literally, you may look at it in the woods, you're looking at it and going, I bet that used to be a fire break. I'm not 100% sure. Too bad I can't really walk down it and see down it, but you can see it on LIDAR. Because LIDAR oh, yeah. is a light, a light penetrating radar and it penetrates through the upper canopy and everything down to the ground. So it takes an accurate map of what the ground looks That's like. Great. I really love the little wind gizmo. Yeah. It, I just love the little wind gizmo just popping up. Oh, wind changed. Automatically shows you wind uh, yep. <clears throat> not ever having to look for. It. It's always there on your home screen. Yep. Uh, but, and then you've got four or five different layers of satellite imagery. And then some places you've got UAV, uh, which is like aerial photography imagery that is stupid clear if you have it. But even their satellite imagery is good down to one meter. So if you had, I mean, you had a boat parked in the front yard, you can zoom in and see your trolling motor. You can, man. It's got it's got the best imagery of Google, and then the landline maps of, uh, say Onyx. I mean, it's the guy. The guy's a Spartan and, Forge, and it, they did a kick ass job of taking the best of everybody's worlds and putting it in one app. You, and they're you, cheap, and you lock your pricing in. Yeah. So whatever you pay the first time you join, as long as you don't ever let your subscription lapse, that's what you'll continue to pay. How much is it a month? Uh, I'd have to go back and look at it, but if you go, like we said, it's cheaper than Onyx, and you get all fifty states. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, and you can use Spartan Twenty if you go to their website, which will I'll send you, I'll Jordan text you the website, and you can use Spartan right. Twenty get twenty percent off your subscription. I want to say it's sixty bucks a year, something like that. Yeah, is that about right? And that might be before the discount. Mm-hmm. Probably. See, so you're getting it for what forty eight bucks for twenty percent off. It was sixty. It's it's killer, man. I mean, <laughs> I don't. I'm not. I'm and, not as gadget know, as these guys I'll are. I tell you this. I tell you this. I hear you talking a lot about wind directions and all that stuff. You're getting hist with that. You get historical wind data, so you can log in the journal feature. You, if you make a journal entry uh, when you saw a deer, it'll automatically log in all the weather data and wind data and all that, and you start looking at those journals, and then it'll tell you. Every time I see this buck show up here, the wind is blowing in this direction. So you start to notice a pattern That's when that deer shows up there. Yeah, yeah. you, you. This I isn't like to be clear. You don't have to enter that data. It just does it. Yeah. That that right there is a pretty smart little idea because I just, you know, a lot of times I'll just, you know, found over the years that I've, you know, learned to just kind of log it back in the back of my brain, um, but. uh it would be nice to have something to sit there and tell you, you know. Well, you and, and then too, if you use the pins as they're intended, like when you find a scrape, you don't just put a dot there. 
you put a like you put the pin for an active scrape and then a rub and then this and then that the app starts to take all that data you input into it and it builds a pattern for you using yeah. ai yeah. yeah yep he's got it's basically an ongoing study Pretty he, much. He's, <laughs> he's building the AI so that the computer starts to think like a deer. Yeah, man, that's pretty neat um, technology there. I'll have to check it out. And, Spartan and use it And these North Florida woods a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. It is not as uh, intuitive as using some of the other hunting apps. And people say, oh, just not. It's just hard to use. Well, that's not uh, actually true if you just quit using the other app and start using that one in about two yeah. and a half three days of playing with it you'll figure it out yeah figure it all out the buttons are in a few different places than they were before that's it but once you figure out you memorize where your buttons are how to get to what you wanted it's all there and you can that's i don't know right. if you've noticed this jim but when you're holding on the home screen you can swipe left and right over top of that compass and it changes your map layers really? left right up down yeah it changes between what you're seeing on the screen yeah. So it's pretty neat. Pretty cool. Well, Austin, I appreciate you joining us, man. It's been been quite a tale, quite a quite an adventure, and I hope you get that big buck. I know one guy, somebody just shot a 150 in Florida. Uh, just saw it yeah, up on Facebook. I don't, I don't think mine's going to touch, touch anywhere near 150, but I'll dang sure be happy with it. Maybe if I've, I've got a lot of stuff coming up with the new year, we're doing a bunch of. Uh, bunch of stuff with the which i've got to go to nashville um here two or three times over the next two months so maybe i'll get enough time to get you gonna you gonna record that song you posted man i got a whole it, well it's a i'm gonna record i'm recording a whole album right now in very the process, good um of it um so me and my buddy alex napier and um river dan we uh we kind of came up with some stuff and we got a we got what what we think's a ten song album and uh, we'll have to get y'all a link to all the Spotify and iTunes. Yeah, stuff. absolutely. Uh, yeah. Whenever you got that stuff live, let us know. We'll we'll, uh, we'll promote that a little bit for you. That was good. That was a good song you posted, yes, there. Oh, but oh, answer the man. question. It's it's fifty nine ninety nine a year before your twenty percent discount. Oh, that's not bad at all. But you can't download the app first. You have to go on SpartanForge.ai and create your account and pay for it there in order to use a 20% discount code. Really? Yeah, it's because the app store takes a bunch of money and so on and so forth. I think mine's $79.99, I think, now is what I pay for HuntStand, so it would be cheaper than what, what I'm paying now. Right. Well... I'll definitely give it a shot, without a doubt. But from what it, from what you've told me about it, it sounds sounds like some pretty good stuff. It's it's a cool app. Y'all got any closing thoughts? Oh man, I don't know. Uh, if you're in Zone C here, this is it. Yeah, it's over. If you, don't get, you, hear if this. you don't get it done by by the time you hear this, it's it's over. Yeah, you're done for. Season's over for you. So start small game hunting. That's all I can say. That's your yeah. tip. Start a small game hunting. <laughs> Get ready for turkey season. That too. Well, good luck, to you guys. Y'all, y'all, let me know when y'all find some turkeys down there for us to go yelp at. Yeah, they're in the woods. 
<laughs> that's about as good as I got. <laughs> yeah, everything we got down here, you got to pull permits for. So, man, that's that's one thing we have going up on up here too. Is a, a lot of the better areas, um, you got to pull a permit for it. We need to get up there and do some uh, do some deer hunting with you too. Oh yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, I, I definitely know where the turkeys are too on theirs that you can hunt. So you'll have to come up here and, and do a little bit of both if y'all get enough time on your hands. Yes, For sir. Sure. Well, Austin, I appreciate you joining us, man. We'll catch you guys next week. Yes, sir. Sounds good. We'll see y'all later. Adios, hey, we'll see you, brother.